0: Welcome to the Overflow podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We're going to continue our series today. And finish our series today on talking about flight. And we're going to talk about at altitude. Everybody say altitude. 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 Now we're going to talking today about flying high. How many of you want to fly high in life? You want to soar? You want to, you want to be good at this thing? As you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I'm, maybe you do. When you get on a plane when the captain comes over the speaker, he normally tells you what altitude you're at. Correct? You guys know what I'm talking about? And he gets on, and and, and when you get to kind of that peak optimum altitude, he'll come over the speaker, and the captain will say, this is your captain speaking, right? And he says, we've reached... Usually somewhere between thirty-five, depending on how far you're flying, between about thirty-five thousand feet and forty-two thousand feet. How many you know that's really high? And he's not saying that uh, to scare you, but he's saying it to tell you that we're basically we're leveling this thing out, and we are flying high. We're in a really good place, and we're going to stay and we're going to maintain this altitude to carry us through until we begin our descent. And the reason why planes do that—it's not just so they can kind of freak you out when you're on the plane, you know—well, what if something happens? It's. Actually, safer for planes to fly at that height, especially commercial airlines, because whenever they reach that height, if something goes wrong, there's a lot more time. I mean, it takes you a lot further. Uh, It it takes a lot longer to go from that height all the way down to ground zero than it does if you're flying at say 10,000 feet. So they're able to work with things, and and, and it just ensures a lot more time for the pilot in case something does go wrong. So there's there's safety. That's part of the reason why they do it. Another thing is is Strategic for a plane to fly that high. How many know that whenever you get that high, you can actually get above where the storms are? Oh, come on. And so the, the the pilot knows that hey, there's a storm pattern here. Even if it's a shorter flight, let's fly a little higher than we normally do, so we can avoid, avoid the storms, and we can avoid some of what we talked about last week about turbulence. So it's interesting that turbulence and some storms, now now, not all storms and not all turbulence can be can be avoided by flying at those heights, but but a plane flying at those heights actually avoid a lot of the discomfort and a lot of the things that would hinder and make the flight unfun. Right? right? And so that's another thing. So it's safe and strategic. And the other reason why planes fly at this height is because it is efficient. Everybody say efficient. Efficient. So these planes get up there and they're flying 550 to 600 miles per hour. I mean, they are coast, they are moving through the sky uh, pretty high. And how many you know that when you're going that fast, you're probably not getting really good gas mileage. These guys are getting about a a mile per gallon. Yeah, a gallon per minute. I'm sorry, a gallon per minute, five miles per gallon. Now, if you had that in your car, you'd probably be getting a new vehicle, right? Especially if you worked across town. I know if you've probably got the cool, like, you know, big old wheels and the awesome exhaust and the loud truck and everything, you're probably getting about five miles per gallon. But in a plane, how many? you know, that doesn't sound like it's very good. But when you consider that you're going 550 miles per hour, that's pretty good. And if you break that down now we, we think per passenger right we're not thinking okay how how much mile per gallon you're actually getting in a in a commercial a full commercial airline, you are getting about seventy two miles per gallon, which is better than your Prius right, so you are getting they're actually planes are if you get the right perspective, very efficient. So with airlines, they know, man, we got to get it up to this height because if we're flying at this height, it's a good, plane tickets are going to be cheaper. We're going to, it's going to be more comfortable. It's going to be safer. It's better for everybody if we just fly higher. And how many of you know that in your life, if you will just fly higher, it's going to be better for everybody. It's not just going to be good for you and your attitude and the things that you're going through. It's also going to be good for the people that live with you. Yeah right? I know when I have a better altitude, when I'm flying at peak altitude in my life, my family is happier. You guys have heard, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, in the brown house, that's true. But how many know that Leslie's hardly ever unhappy? But when Papa's unhappy, ain't nobody happy. And so what's important for me is that I got to make sure that I'm flying at a good altitude, that I'm being efficient, that I'm being safe. Come on, that I am rising above the turbulence, that I'm rising above a lot of the things that I wouldn't have to deal with if I'm flying low. Good. Are you with me? So really it's simple economics, the reason why planes do this. If it's uncomfortable, if it's terrible, if it's frightening, nobody's going to fly. But it's bearable. We get up there. It's a little bit comfortable. They can serve you some orange juice and some peanuts, and you're golden, right? So get this. In life, our attitude determines our altitude. Have you ever heard that before? I don't know who coined that phrase, but I've heard it most of my life. Attitude determines our altitude. Is that true? Does the Bible say that? You know, the Bible says, if you guys ever heard that, someone say, well, the Bible says, right? And they, now the Bible might not say that, but I believe the Bible does teach it. All right. So Romans chapter eight, verse five says this, those who live according to the sinful nature, how many y'all used to live like that? Uh, uh, Four of us. Okay. (laughs) In order to get the new life, you got to admit that that's the way it used to be. Okay. So (laughs) those who live according to the sinful nature, have their mindset. Everybody say mindset. mindset. What is a mindset? A mindset is a mindset. They have their mindset. They have a mindset. Are you okay? Yep. Listen, so they have their mindset on what the nature desires. They have their attitude on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset. They have the mindset. They have the attitude of what. The spirit desires. How many know that an attitude is a mindset? The mind of the sinful man is death. Oh, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. So we want to have the mindset. We want to have the attitude That determines our altitude because if we have the right mindset, the right attitude, then we can experience life and peace. Some of you are not experiencing life and peace because you're thinking like the old guy. You're thinking like the dead guy because when you came to Christ, you died. You're thinking about him. And so what God is saying is, I want you to have a better attitude so you can fly to higher altitudes so you can experience life and peace. So it's not this heavy mandate. He's like, come and think like I think. Yeah, right. So you'll have good life. He's like, I want you to have a good life. But in order for you to have a good life, in order for you to be efficient, in order for you to avoid some storms, in order for you to avoid some turbulence, you're going to have to fix your thinking. Yeah. You're going to have to fix your mindset. Yes. Attitude. Attitude is a mental position with regard to fact or state. Attitude is not what a thing is. It's what you think about the thing. It's kind of like perspective. Perspective. A particular attitude towards a way of regarding something. A point of view. So your attitude... Is the way you frame your life. It's the way that we look at our trials. It's the way that we look at our jobs. It's the way that we look at our home life. It's the way that we look at the church. It's the way we look at God. Our attitude is the way that we frame our viewpoint, our perspective of life. And perspective is powerful. And you've heard it said, and I agree with this statement perspective is everything perspective is everything because the the truth can be the truth. But if you don't align your thinking with the truth, it doesn't matter how good the truth is. It will not transform you. You You've got to come into alignment with the truth. How do we frame our life? How do we frame the world? See, attitude is not defined by your situation, but how you see your situation. So if you see yourself like the victim all the time, Oh man, I just can't catch a break. I just got bad luck. I, just, I was born. If you think like that, you will live like that the rest of your life. But until you change your thinking, nothing in your life will change. For instance, some of us most of us, our attitude is like this. If I had a better job, I'd have more money. If I had more money, then I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. Paul said it this way, he said, contentment is everything. Contentment is great gain, right? And so let, let me just put this in perspective. Say you're working, you know, an okay job. It might be an okay job if you're under like 25. Say you're making 24000 a year, which isn't very enough. That's, that's not really enough to survive in America if you want to have cell phones and cable TV and Netflix and, right, car payment, house payment. It's, it's tough. That's a stretch to make $24,000 a year. And most of us would say, man, I'm struggling. I need a new job. I need a new pro- promotion. But, but if you would understand that if you're making 24000 a month, you're in the top 2.24% of the world on the rich list. Right. You're richer than not, more than 97% of the world, comparatively. Crazy. And if you're making 24000 a year in America, you're considered in poverty. Right. But to the rest of the world, you're rich. In fact, you, you would be so rich at just making 2000 bucks a month. You would be making more, you'd be, you'd be able to pay the salaries of 107 doctors in Pakistan. You got the good life. 107 doctors, you could pay their salary. Probably by working at Starbucks. Let's just be real. If you could make that much, we're going to Starbucks. I don't know how much they pay. Uh, I like what Jack Sparrow said, the philosophical Jack Sparrow. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. So the problem is not the problem. I wish I could do a great uh, (laughs) Jack Sparrow, but I'm just not going (laughs) to. The problem. See, psychologists call this what we do many times. Um, we, we, we do this thing called projection. And so we think of things a certain way, so immediately we receive the way that we perceive, right? Yep. You always receive the way you perceive. For instance, if I, if I saw, shot you a text this week, and I was like, uh, hey, Noah, I need to talk to you something about this week. I'll talk to you about something this week. And I was like, oh, okay. If Noah thinks I'm a nice kind God that loves him, that's encouraging, it's a blessing to be around, then he's going to look forward to that meeting. But if he sees that I'm a God that's kind of you know, yells a lot on Sunday. And when I sing, it's, you know, not always pleasantly sounding, but it's kind of a little bit scary almost. And he he views me in that frame Then immediately he's going to receive that text and read into that, that Josh is going to rebuke me or Josh is going to have a problem with me. It's the same way as with your children. When you're raising your children, if your children view you as a tyrant and a mean parent, then they're going to, they're going to get nervous every time you try to have a conversation with them. How is there, however, if they know your intention and they know you're, you're a loving parent and you're tender, same way with your spouse, if you are a tender person and, you're, and, and, you, and they know that about you and their viewpoint is that way, but how many know it doesn't really matter how they are? What matters is what you think they are because that's the way that you're going to receive whether a text message or a, a post on social media, come on. And so most of what we feel is not even intended, it's projected. We project what we feel. Um, So how we see things impacts uh, the way we act. Okay, y'all okay? I know I'm doing kind of a little low-key today, but listen, the way that we see God. If you see God as this cosmic tyrant who's waiting for you to say a cuss word next time somebody pulls you out in front of traffic so he can hit you with cancer, you're gonna have a very poor relationship with God. We laugh about that, but people actually think that. I used to think, I was thinking about this as a shower, I used to think that if I sinned during the day and I didn't confess that sin when I went to bed, that the, if the Lord returned in the middle of the night, I would miss the Lord and I would go to hell. If I died, I would go to hell because I didn't confess that one sin. It's a very broken view of Grace. Now, if you have a life yielded to Jesus, you belong to Him. I'm not talking about your living wild living, but I'm talking about being secure and understanding that God has you. If you understand that He's a loving Father, that He's not a killjoy dictator, this will this will this will change everything in your life. I've watched people serve. They, you know, that are really good at like, you know, we, we have a phenomenal team of volunteers and people that come every Sunday and serve. And and I don't think any of our leaders do it this way, but I used to, the church that I got saved in, there were people that, man, they would go in and they were ushers and they were, you know, they were deacons and they were leaders in the church, but they served under this mindset that they, that they had to do that. or God was going to be mad and frustrated at them. And so when they served, they didn't serve well, like they, what they did was good But their attitude about it wasn't good. Why? Because they think God is mean-spirited and God's demanding that out of their life. Now, does God have demands and God have expectations? Absolutely. It's a relationship. Every relationship, there's expectations. Every relationship, there's quote-unquote demands, even though we don't like that word. But how do you view it? Do you view it as I have to do all these things to gain God's pleasure, to earn God's love? If you live like that, then everything that you serve, when you come into worship, I can tell you what, I can look across the room and I, I'm not judging any, I guess I am judging, um, but not condemning, right? Because we all make judgments every day. You made a judgment to be here this morning. I'm not saying it to condemn you, but I could look around the room during worship and, and, and get a little bit of an idea of what people think about how God thinks because the way that you respond to him when he walks into the room. Okay? Um, so the way that we see God impacts the way that we act. How do you see God? What is your perspective of God? Is, is, is it framed by the scriptures and framed from your history with the Lord? Or is it framed by religion and things that you've been told, whether those things are right or wrong? How are you framing the way God is, the way that we see ourselves. You know, our in-look directs our output. So the way that you see yourself, if you're shameful, if, you, if you're angry, you're going to treat others those ways. You're going to shame other people, you know. Um, so usually when people have a bad attitude, it's because of the way that they view God or the way that they view themselves. Do you see yourself as a victim? Or do you see yourself as Romans chapter eight thirty seven says, that you're more than a conqueror? How do you see yourself? Do you feel, do you see yourself always fighting for victory or do you see yourself as already victorious and you're living from that? And there is a, a diabolical difference. And if I can tell you, teach you this beloved, you are an overcomer. And it's not defined by how successful your week was, but it's defined by the cross. It's defined because Jesus, the great victorious champion, has won the battle. And because of that, you are victorious. And you are free. And when you get that, you will overcome sin. I'll tell you what, this behavior modification thing really doesn't work because we try to fix our heart you can't. You've got to allow him to fix your heart, and then good behavior comes out. God isn't into modifying your behavior; He's into transforming your heart. That is His desire, because the way what's in your heart is the way that you think. And you, and and some of that, you God will work on you, and some of that you just got to align with Him. Y'all okay? Um, so, do you see yourself as barely getting by, or man, I'm a, I'm victorious. It's hard. Life's hard right now, but I am an overcomer, and man. Tell you what, take everything away. Take all my money away. Take all my health away. Take everything from me. I belong to the king of glory. Take it all away. Look what I have. Priceless inheritance. Take it all away and I'm still good. Why? Because I have the the perspective that I am a son. I'm the beloved of God. Now, sometimes I got to work on that attitude. Anybody else? So it influences the way we see God. It influences the way that we see ourselves. It influences the way that we see others. People that are mean-spirited or rude uh, are oftentimes either deeply insecure, egotistical, or deeply and religiously devoted to a pure view of God. To a, I'm sorry, to a poor view of God. So people that are mean-spirited or rude are either deeply insecure, egotistical, or deeply and religiously devoted to a poor view of God. What we need is a pure view of God. If you see God is mostly upset, mostly angry, if you think that God is on his throne looking at the earth going, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Why did I create the earth? Why did I give Jesus for this? If you, if you view that God is mostly sad, I'm not saying that God doesn't ever, ever get sad. I do, I do think that he has moments of sadness. And I think that God has moments of anger. But if you see God as mostly sad, mostly disappointed, mostly angry, you will treat others like God is mostly disappointed, mostly angry, mostly upset, right. mostly disappointed. Right. Instead, is that God's attitude? Well, it says in Romans chapter 14, verse 7, that the kingdom of God is righteousness. It's right standing with God. Right. Righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. Jesus said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's His pleasure to give you righteousness through Jesus, peace through Jesus, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So God's default is not anger and frustration and chaos, His default is righteousness. Peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So God wants you to experience and walk in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's your destiny. It's the kingdom. Why would he say that's the kingdom if that wasn't the way he is? So in order to have the attitude of Christ, because that's what we're called to, because, you know, look at Jesus. How does God feel? Look at Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is in a very broken world. Go, go do some study of the world that Jesus was brought into. You think America's bad right now? Do some study and see how much worse it was in Jerusalem at the turning of time. Go, go and look. Way worse than America is right now. I know you think that God is so consumed with it. He's consumed with the heart of people. He's not so bothered by our political systems. Are you with me? Until they involve morality. Listen, Jesus was in a very jacked up world, but had a very good attitude about it. I mean, do we we read in the scriptures that did Jesus have times where he went away and got alone to pray? Absolutely. Did he have moments? Yes, he had these moments, but mostly his default was joy, life-giving peace. He he made the, the environment electric. That's what we're called to. We're called to have the attitude of Christ, not the attitude of the world, not the attitude of a political party, not an attitude of, 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 of some Christian that maybe represented God, good or bad. Right. We're called to have the attitude of Jesus. Jesus lived at a very high altitude. Yes. <laughs> I mean, how much higher can you get? <laughs> Philippians 2, do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Oh, Sorry, can y'all forget the last little statement? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. But they're not better than me. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourself. Don't try to look out for your own interest. Well, that's not what I want to do. Don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in others too. It's not all about you. (laughs) Verse five, but you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Another translation says you must have the mind of Christ. The what? The attitude. The mindset that Jesus had is the mindset that we're supposed to have towards God what kind of mindset did Jesus have towards God, his father? I only do what you say, right? Father, Jesus had a perfect view of the father. We're called to have that mindset to the father. How did he see about himself? He knew who he was. He knew he was the son of God. He knew he, that he was God incarnate on the earth. He knew that about himself and he loved others. We're called to that. We're called to be like Jesus. That's why you're called a Christian. Right. Not because you try really hard, but because of Jesus. Right. And he's the goal. All right. Though he, so if, if you're ever like, you know, I know it's cheesy or whatever. What would Jesus do? Great philosophy. Yeah. What would Jesus post? Yeah. <laughs> right? How would Jesus respond? Well, I'm not Jesus. Great. I know. I know that. I'm glad you know that. But you're still called to be like him. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God, something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. That's laying your life down. I'm not a criminal, but I'll die. I'll die for all the criminals. They're a criminal. How did Jesus react to criminals? He died for them. How do we act to criminals? We want them to die. Jesus said, if you hate a man in your heart, you've committed murder. How do you think about the person that sinned against you? Jesus died for them too. I know they're more evil than you, but we're called to have the attitude of Jesus. I'm trying to help you. You want to live at peace. It's hard. I know. I'm there. I'm with you. It is hard. He humbled himself in obedience to God, A criminal's death on on a cross, humiliated on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor. Therefore, because he humbled himself, God exalted him. Listen, you will get nowhere in this life with God by exalting yourself. It will only be found through humility. Let God take care of the exalting. You deal with the humbling. Because you don't want God to humble you. It's better for you to humble yourself than have God humble you. So I want to humble myself so he can exalt me. That way he don't have to squash me in order to exalt me. Because he wants me to be exalted. Exalted. Before his eyes, not for me, not self-exaltation. I know that it's hard to hear in the world we live in, because it's all about me, my selfies, my posts, my likes, my comments, my friends, my 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 my, my money, my, my, this, my rights, my privileges. Me, 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 me. Me world. Therefore God exalted him in the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above all names. How did Jesus get such high altitude? He went low. He went low. Yeah. So, how many of y'all need an altitude adjustment? I need an altitude adjustment. Yeah. I need an altitude adjustment in order to get an altitude adjustment. You got to have an attitude adjustment, right? Because altitude determines our attitude determines our altitude. So, an altitude adjustment. First of all, look up. You can look up at me right now. That's awesome. <laughs> but you can also, <laughs> in your life, look up when you need str- when you, when you need help in your struggle. Or help in your attitude. Maybe you're struggling with your attitude. I know for me, the greatest struggle in my life is my attitude. In the struggle, though, whenever I'm dealing with disappointment, this is what the psalmist said. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's like when it gets hard, you just start singing. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. I'm just going to go, Lord, I don't want to look at my situation. I don't want to look at the mess. I don't want the junk. I just want to fix my eyes on you. I I, I had this moment yesterday. It was in a text conversation with someone, and I was just real frustrated. And uh, I was trying to, like, do things on my own. Anybody else ever do that? I was like, let let me manipulate. Let me fix this. And I was just, I was studying and it was like frustrating. It's like, leave me alone. I'm just trying to study. Prepare the word of God, don't you know? You know, trying to be all like whatever. And like, I was just in my living room alone, just studying. And I was just like, I was listening to some live worship and I was just like, Lord. And I could tell you that in that moment, I was just all that burden, all the frustration, all the tension just left. Yeah. Why? Because I looked up. I looked up. Not during the sermon, but to the Lord. When we need influence in our attitude, where do we look? We look up Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we with all un- with unveiled faces. We use this scripture a lot. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image. What image are we being transformed into? Jesus. We're look- Listen, you become what you behold. If all you ever do is read negative news articles, and and you know. Weird, unrealistic romance novels. Let's just be real. You're going you're gonna to become what you behold. It teaches us right here. So how do we become like Jesus? By beholding Jesus. By getting before Jesus with an unveiled face and connecting with Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus, so I'm going to do this and do that. Uh-uh. That's not going to make you more like Jesus. What's going to make you more like Jesus is being with Jesus today during work, you know, Leslie, the greatest thing that ever happened to me is, is my wife. And I know. <laughs> and so, because what happens is Leslie's tender and soft, right? And, and so she takes off that kind of, you know, I have a tendency to be aggressive and da, da, da. But what's funny is like, I notice this every once in a while, like today I get to lead worship right? Every once in a while, I get to lead worship and uh, lead worship with my wife. And she lets me, I'm like, I told a guy yesterday, I came to the furnace where I was playing. And I said, I said, yeah, sometimes they let the old guy play, you know, and everybody knows it, you know, it's really the A team when I'm playing. No, I'm just kidding. And so, you know, I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the backup to the backup, but to the backup guy. And so when they, when I'm needed, they, they let me play. And so, but you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, I was born in the eighties and you know, I kind of have a little bit of style about me. I know y'all can't <laughs> funny or whatever. And so what's funny is whenever I lead with Leslie, she leads like I do. Like she gets more aggressive, right? I'm like, what's up? Because we rub off on it today. I was like, yeah, Leslie's rocking. This. She didn't normally rock that hard, but when she rocking me, she rocks a little harder, but that wasn't her default. How did she get that way? Because we bled worship together for years. So she's like, so we always get like kind of annoyed, like when we lead together, because they're like, oh yeah, worship is so rocking. And it's like, they don't ever say that unless I'm in the band. Isn't that true? They only say that. So it's just funny. But the thing is, is we, it's because we rub off on one another. Are you with me? And so I'm making the point to the The point is this, is that she's not naturally aggressive, but because of my, our connection, it rubs off on her. And the same way for me, I'm tender because of her. And being married to her for, you know, 14, almost 14 years um, is uh, is rubbing off on me. And I'm tender now. It's weird. It's awesome. Um, but the point is this, is you become like Jesus by being with Jesus. You don't become like Jesus by trying to be like Jesus. You become like Jesus. It's naturally. It's organic. I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Quit trying to be with him and you'll be like him. I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to have the heart of the Lord. I'm trying to be like the Lord. How much time did you spend in prayer this week? How much time did you spend worshiping Jesus? Because you'll become like what you worship. I'm going to stop there on that point because we need to move on. Number two, look from. Look from. How many know you are seated? In heavenly places, Ephesians two six, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. You're seated with Jesus, so you look from that position. You're already the righteousness of God. You're already victorious. You see things from that position. So, the higher you go, the smaller things become. The higher you go, the smaller things become. The smaller. You know, you think it's such a big deal, but you just get a little higher and you're like, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, right. What changed? Is it still a big deal if you're on the ground? Absolutely. But when you're, get, get, when you're higher, it just looks smaller. So Leslie and I had this uh, for her birthday. It was a couple months delayed because of just some scheduling things. And so this weekend we went and we, you know, had this deal at this place called Delta Charlie's in Dallas where they, you eat dinner and then they fly you in a plane for a little while. And uh, so we go and we get on this prop plane and everything, and they put these headsets, this noisy, <laughs> over there is a cotton ball, and I feel like over here in the building. And so we're flying around downtown, and it, we're, we're just up there. And Leslie and I are just both like, it looks so small. Downtown looks so big when you're on the street, but when you can get above, when you get a little bit higher, when you can be seated in a higher place, you realize, it's really not that big, but you know what else we noticed about it is we saw things that we couldn't normally see by being in that plane. Then we were like, "Wow, I didn't." I mean, downtown's bigger in some ways, but it but it's it's it, it feels smaller. But there's a lot more buildings than we realized that there were. There was a lot more going on there than what we thought when we were at street level. But now that we're up a little higher, we have a different perspective. The higher you go, the smaller things are. Um, I need a little help. So I got this tape measure today, and this is what we do with our life, right? We stay on the ground. Emlyn, would you take that? And, uh, hey, babe, would you stand? And just go go that way with it. We're gonna, I want to just kind of go around. Can you stand right here? Okay. Yeah. And somebody else stand right there by Emlin. And we're going to go, boom, we're going to go that way with it. We're going we're gonna to make a big square right here around all you awesome people in the middle section, because the middle section is where it's at. I'm just saying <laughs> thank you, thank you. I love you guys too, but but... But, you know, these people love me a whole lot, so they're sitting in the middle, and it helps me. So let's keep going. Let's let's bring it all the way. How many feet we at right now? Let's see. Let's see. We're 75 feet. Let's see how far we can get here. Okay, right there. Boom. 88. 88 feet right here. Can you hold on to this for me, Inland? Thank you, sir. If your life... If you live to be 88, that's pretty good in today's standards. Most of us hope to live a little longer than that. But if you lived 88 years, that's that's a pretty long life. That's pretty good. Naturally, you could die that old, right? And so what we tend to do in our lives is we tend to do this. Hmm. Where am I at here? And we look and we measure this much of it. I'm successful. I'm a failure. Because of three inches. Because of three months. We go. When I was 13 years old, everything changed. We forget about The rest of life. I'm 33 years old. Shouldn't I be married by now? And we forget we got a a whole life to live. And all we focus on is 33 years old. And I'm only making $22,000 a year. I'm such a failure. And our perspective is so small. And we judge our life by these little segments, even if it's like five years. I'm like, wow, my life was totally transformed. And maybe it was, and maybe it was for the good. But can I tell you, there's a whole lot more to life than five years. Would you change your perspective? Thank you, guys. Would you change your perspective? Would you get a bigger view? Look beyond. That's number three. Look beyond. Listen, it will get better. Everybody say that. Look at your neighbor and say, it will get better. It will get better. better. Look at your other neighbor and say, it will get better. better. Hey, I don't know how good it is. I don't know how bad it is, but I can guarantee it's going to get better. You know, some people are like, well, you know, that's really great, Pastor Josh, but I'm, I'm more of a realist right? I'm not, I'm not pessimistic. I'm not optimistic. I'm realistic. How many of y'all ever heard that before? So when people say that, I'm, I'm like, so you're a pessimist, right? When they say that they're a realist. Because that's normally what people are saying. Listen, it is critical to be, to be ob- objective. It's critical. It's cr- critical for you to get out of that season... Off the ground, it's important for you to have a bigger perspective. The way that you evaluate yourself, the way that you look at others, is so important for you to be objective. Get out of your little world, get off your screen, and realize there's this great big world that has zero to do with that thing that we invest so much of our lives into. Me too. And it, isn't it crazy that a little five inch screen can control so much of my emotions? We were so much better without them. And you know it, you you too. Not saying that there's not benefits because there definitely are. But the way that we judge ourselves, you are not gonna have, listen, be objective, bigger world. You're not gonna have much success in life, especially the life of faith, if you don't learn to develop some hope. And you don't start looking beyond where you're at. We need to have eyes like an eagle. You know, an eagle can see uh, 340 degrees. We can see like 90 degrees, or not 90, but like 180 degrees. We need a bigger perspective. We need to have those eagle eyes, right? And An eagle from a 10-story building can see an ant on the ground. That's insane. I can't even see one from like two feet. What's your point? My point is, is we've got to develop eyes that are not so narrow. Come on. A view that's not so narrow that we would open up. People get this one little revelation about God and they think it defines everything and it will totally transform you. One little revelation, but that's not exhaustive. Right. There, there's no revelation. Let me say this. There's no revelation about God that's exhaustive. That's why we can, talk, we can sing Abba for a thousand years and we still won't, we still won't get the love of God. Right. We still won't understand the fatherhood of God completely. Inexhaustible, Okay. And number four, lighten up. Lighten up. Look up, look from, look beyond, and lighten up. I really struggle with lightening up. Somebody's like, yeah, I know. Thank you, appreciate you seeing that in my life. <laughs> so just like you, I get all that like, consumed with like, you know, Facebook posts and things. And, and I had this guy a Facebook friend, you know, we have these friends, they only chime in when they disagree with us. You know know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm one of those. We call them trolls in the Facebook world. And so every once in a while, he'll comment on my stuff. Again, only negative. And it always bothers me. I mean, that bothers me when people are like, I only want to be in your life when I want to correct you. Like, it's just complete delete. You know, it's like, I want to have like, not the attitude of Christ. Right. And so I just, I just kind of grin and bear it with this guy. He's an unbeliever. He's probably like agnostic, and you know, and he has all these reasons. And I've kind of gone back and forth with him a little bit, and you know, on little things because it. I, I'm just, I'm just not always the most well behaved on social media. In fact, a lot of times I just have to go away or delete things. I, I delete more comments than I post. Let's just put it that way. And so um, he posts this thing. I'm, I don't even remember what it was. It was something about God. I'm sure. And he was like, well, that's not true in my experience. Blah, blah, blah. He's just like, he's just angry. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, dude, go find someone else to troll. You know, I was like, i was so annoyed by it. And that day I just, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to love on this guy and I'm going to try to understand where he's coming from. And so rather than defend what I was saying and rather than attack what he was saying, I just, I asked him, I said, man, what does it feel like? And he said, What, you know, what, what does what feel like? Probably in that tone. I'm projecting. <laughs> but if he read the post, you'd say, Yeah, he's saying it like that. <laughs> and um, some of y'all probably did see the post. And he said, uh, And I said, What does it feel like to carry around all that weight? All that tension. And man, I just got the heart of the Lord for him. And he said, It's terrible. I mean, he's just totally vulnerable because I was just willing to try to understand like man what's that what's that like like I don't want to accuse you for carrying the weight what I didn't tell him I didn't give him the, the real spiritual answer I just told him man I, you know because he he's gonna probably hate on that so I just try to love him I said man I just really hope that things turn out better for you I have hope that things will get better for you and it was in and what's crazy is it I hope it encouraged him, but I felt better by doing that. I felt better than not trying to work it to win the argument or whatever. I felt better, but my hope was that he felt better. My hope is that he was able to lighten up because here's a guy that just carries this weight every day. So he's always angry. He's always frustrated. And it bothers me when people are like that because I know that they're not living in their destiny because God wants them to have a life of peace. It's very difficult. That's what he said. I was like, oh. God, touch this man. Break in and restore his heart. And... uh If I was going to share him a scripture that day, which I didn't because I knew he wouldn't have received it, it would have been this one right here where Jesus says in Matthew 11, Baby, you want to come up? Come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't say, I'll give, give you sleep. He said, I'll give you rest. You get peace from rest, not sleep. You can sleep 15 hours tonight, and you won't have peace when you wake up, but rest is different. Take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You'll find rest for all that weight you carry because my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden that I give you is light. I want to lighten your load because you know what? Planes are a lot more sufficient when they have a lighter load. It's a lot easier to get lift. It's a lot easier to fly through the sky. It's a lot more efficient to gain altitude when it's light. But sometimes we just carry all this stuff. And the Lord's saying, lighten up. And for some of us, lighten up means chill out. For some of us it means God, I can't handle it anymore. The guilt, the shame, the anger. And today I just want to I just want to let you have it. Cuz it's too heavy.